Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Overcrowding in the ED is a big challenge here in the U.S., and it's actually true for other countries as well. Associated with overcrowding are longer lengths of stay in the ED and long ED boarding times, which have been associated with higher mortality and worse health outcomes. So it makes sense that organizations should look for ways to decrease length of stay, which is usually a multifactorial problem. Today we're talking with two authors of a recent AEM paper entitled, Do Financial Incentives Change Length of Stay Performance in Emergency Departments? A Retrospective Study of the Pay for Performance Program in Metro Vancouver. Dr. Eric Park and Dr. Ichuan Ding, along with their colleagues, sought to evaluate whether the timing of patient disposition in four major hospitals in Metro Vancouver, Canada, was influenced by a length of stay-based pay for performance financial incentive program, and they're here to talk about their findings with us. Dr. Eric Park, PhD, is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Business and Economics in the University of Hong Kong. Dr. Ichuan Ding is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Management at McGill University and received his PhD from the Department of Management Science and Engineering at Stanford University. We're very pleased to speak with them today from Hong Kong and Canada. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Dr. Eric Park. Hello. And Dr. Ichuan Ding. It's all pleasure too. Yeah. So just to start us off, I'm in the United States and I'm very familiar with our problems with ED overcrowding, long lengths of stay, boarding. This study is set in uh, the Metro Vancouver area. Can you just give us some insight into the state of things in Vancouver? Is it similar to what's happening in the United States? Yes, uh, I would have to say it's not very different from the United States. So actually, some can argue that it's even worse in the Vancouver area than like an average U.S. city. Hmm. So as long as uh, the patient waiting in the ED, uh, it's a significant concern. So actually, in the Vancouver system, they have a centralized ED wait time and announcement system. So it's like a website. So it's, there's the actual addresses, www.edwaittimes.ca. So hmm. what they do with this website is they actually, for the six uh, like major EDs in the area and then one uh, urgent and primary care center, they actually announce the wait time and the length of stay if you get discharged and even the current status of the EDs. So basically for this current status, they indicate using a green or red signal whether that specific ED is under abnormally overcrowded uh, situation or it's in normal. So as you can tell from even operating this uh, website, the Vancouver's uh, the authorities are very concerned with the overcrowding problem in the emergency department. So I guess that tells you what's the current situation in the Metro Vancouver area. Wow. Well, that's really interesting that the website tracks all of that. I wonder how that would go over in the U.S. Um, so what was known about the impact of pay for performance initiatives in hospitals before your study? So actually, we have to start and look at a broader perspective. So it is well studied in the economics literature that performance intensive schemes can improve productivity in a variety of settings. And also in healthcare, uh, it's no different. But mm-hmm. specifically for healthcare, it's a very complex uh, setting compared to like your traditional like manufacturing or service setting. So despite the increasing uptake in pay for performance initiative, it's not clear how successful these instruments are. Mm-hmm. So some 
literature uh, in the healthcare setting report that there's little to no effect of pay for performance incentive on improving the quality of care, while some show that hospitals engaged in the pay for performance actually do achieve uh, modestly greater improvements in their quality than hospitals that do not. So, and the thing is, most of these pay for performance schemes are targeted towards office-based uh, settings or inpatient settings. And it's very rare to see these type of incentives to be implemented in a ED setting. So I guess that's where our research is uh, brings a new perspective in terms of understanding pay-for-performance incentives. Great. Each one, do you have anything to add? Uh, I think the one concern, especially in healthcare setting, is how this pay-for-performance not only impacts the uh, productivity, which means the service speed, but also how it may affect the quality of service, which is a particular concern for healthcare setting. So that I think the motivation, we want to focus on that. Right, very important. Um, so with this study, what, you know, I think we've established why you think it's an important topic to study, but what were you, what were you hoping to find out with your study? I'll touch on the uniqueness of our study in two aspects. So one, as I said, is being in an ED setting, uh, and the others being the beneficiary of the incentive is the organization and not individual practitioners. So actually, in the previous uh, pay-for-performance incentive, many cases, the performance incentive was provided to the individual practitioner. But here, the beneficiary who is actually taking the benefit of the monetary incentive is the organization. Mm. So for such po- this type of policy to be effective, the ED as an organization should have a response at the management level. So it's not about the individual practitioner responding to that, but actually the ED as a whole ma- uh, organization taking a managerial approach to whether they're going to take advantage of these incentives or not. So we were intrigued to analyze how hospitals would respond to the incentive scheme and whether that response continued even after the incentive scheme uh, disappeared. Right. So can you just describe your methods? I think that these were actually pretty interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah. So if you actually look at the paper, we start by just looking at the raw data. So we do no data processing and just look at the empirical distribution of the ED patient's length of stay. And this is not complicated. We just plot the, how the distribution looks like. And then uh, the thing is, with any data analysis, you always want to start by some sort of visualization. And for our case, there was already significant evidence of the incentive affecting the length of stay uh, or discharge and emission patterns. And then uh, starting from there, we then uh, we develop a we, we use a rigorous uh, statistical test to show that there is indeed a significant uh, impact of this uh, incentive scheme on the practitioner's behavior of discharging and admitting patients. And then we move on and show whether this, uh, this significant change in their behavior had any impact not only on the discharge decision, but also the outcome. And then for the outcome, we're referring to the quality outcome of the treatment in the ED. And we look at the seven-day return and emission rate. So it's basically for every uh, patient that was uh, discharged from the ED, we look at whether they were returned to any ED within seven days and also whether they were admitted to the inpatient ward during that return visit. So that's the way that we're going to capture the quality of the initial treatment in the emergency department. So just focus a little more on why you chose to focus on length of stay distribution rather than average length of stay. 
usually we're, you know, when you're quoting numbers, we talk about the average length of stay. So what in particular did the distribution, this is, I thought it was very clever, actually. Um, the distribution tell you about how that helped focus more on the direct impact of the pay for performance initiatives. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I want to comment that that's actually a great question because before our study, uh, there are several studies already studied the pay for performance in different areas, like in UK or in Ontario, but all those studies mainly focus on the, the aggregate statistics, something, something like the mean length of stay, the mean waiting time. Uh, but uh, I think the uh, novelty of our paper is to consider the distribution, the impact on the distribution. And why the distribution is more, very important here, mm -hmm. because we could observe before and after the time cutoff, like the four hour and the 10 hour specified in the P4P policy, we, we find that there is a significant change in the density of the patients discharged before and after, right before and after the four hour, 10 hour cutoff, which indicates there is a strong effect introduced by the policy, right? Because there is not such an effect on three hour, two hour, why it's on four hour and 10 hour, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so that's, I think, a strong evidence that the policy is changing the people, the ED manager, ED physicians, discharge behavior. Mm -hmm. And add to that, actually, it's also evident from the for some of the EDs and from the empirical distribution. But if you just take, like, regardless of what how it turned out, and just if you, as a practitioner or anyone, if you hear about this incentive scheme, if a patient is discharged within four hours, the hospital will get hundred dollars. And if a patient is admitted within 10 hours, the hospital receives $600. Then if the hospital is very strategic, then even without changing any of their uh, processes to improve the patient flows, which is the incentive scheme was trying to achieve, for a very strategic uh, hospital, without any further investment, if they want to really achieve those incentives, the payout from the incentives, then they can try to rush to admit the patients just within 10 hours and try to discharge a patient within four hours. Then that means it's not going to affect the overall uh, population, but only those patients that were most likely to be discharged just after four hours if there was no incentive scheme. Then there is, there, there, there is the evidence, uh, the incentive for the hospitals to rush them maybe 20 or 30 minutes early just to discharge them within four hours. So if it's if there's those kind of strategic decisions are happening, then the looking at the overall average won't show much difference. But if you actually look at the individual patients discharge time and look at the granular data, then you can probably be able to tell whether those kind of behaviors are happening. So that was our motivation to actually look at the individual patients um, uh, outcomes, not the overall aggregated average performance at the ED. Yeah, actually, the previous there are some papers look at into the like the average waiting time and find oh there are no significant change. They have some mixed results, right? Uh, but I, we said oh actually wait, you can't just see whether they impact the average waiting time because they may not affect the waiting time average waiting time, but they affects those patients who are discharged just before and after the four hours, right? Like uh, only a proportion of patients, as Eric said. So I think that that's what we propose. 
So as I said before, very clever, super interesting. Um, so let's talk about what you what you found. Um, so why don't we talk about the different segments of these patients that you're looking at? Because it was a little different for patients who were being admitted um, and trying to get under that 10-hour length of stay benchmark versus patients who were being um, discharged. And then we do want to hit on um, what you're using as a proxy for quality, the seven-day return and admit rates. So um, so first, let's talk about the patients who were admitted. What What did you find there? Okay, so uh, before we talk about the the different type of patients, uh, I think I didn't uh, talk about the exact incentive structure. So the oh incentive- yeah, let's let's talk about that first. Yeah, so the patients who are being admitted. So uh, the incentive scheme is that for patients being admitted, if the patient is admitted within ten hours, regardless of their uh, triage uh, level, the hospital will receive six hundred dollars from the local health authority. And for the patients who are discharged, if they are discharged within four hours for the triage one, two, and three patients, the hospital receive $100 per patient. And for the triage level four and five patients, if they are discharged within two hours, then they will receive the $100 incentive. Now, in our paper, we only study the triage one, two, and three, the more urgent patients. Uh, and then what we found is, is that for the patients who are being admitted, so related to the 10-hour incentive scheme, we find that in all four study EDs, while the government was funding this incentive program, the patients were more frequently admitted within 10 hours. So if we look at the density of the length of stay of admitted patients, it has a discontinuous point exactly at 10 hours with a significant drop. This means that the density, patients were very likely to be admitted within the 10-hour period, and then right after 10 hour the emission rate drops significantly. So this shows that actually the hospitals try to discharge patients within this 10-hour target. Now, if you look at the patients who were discharged, uh, it's actually a mixed result. So out of the four EDs, only in the two smaller EDs, it shows a similar phenomena where the density has a significant drop right at the four-hour target. And data shows that even these two EDs had different approach. So what I mean by different approach, one ED had a significant spike just before four hours. So actually, it added, gets close to the four-hour target, the density increases. So it actually, the hospital tend to discharge more within close to four hours. And in another ED, actually, there's no such spike. And it's a f- relatively flat density within the four-hour period. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, so in earlier I said that the hospital can be strategic. So in this case, we actually see some evidence that the first ED is being strategic because it seems like they try to rush to meet the four-hour target and take the benefit of the incentive. While if we look at the second ED, it's more flat before the four-hour target. So mm-hmm. that is a more less strategic and more a systematic approach to try to reduce the length of stay for all the patients and try to admit uh, sorry, discharge them within this four-hour period. So even by looking at the data, we see some different approaches by the ED. So we, I think our analysis shows that there's different ways that the hospital can try to respond to this incentive scheme. Mm. And last, yeah, and then lastly, related to the quality measures, so the seven-day return and emission rate, uh, if we look at this for the the discharge uh, across the, so for this, what we're trying to do is 
So we know that from looking at the distribution and the statistical analysis that the hospitals took different approach by responding to the four-hour discharge rate. Now, what we do is we take the patients that were discharged just before this four-hour discharge target, so who have a length of stay between, say, three hours and 40 minutes to four hours, so the patients who were discharged just before the target, and we compare those patients that were discharged right after the target, so between four hours and four hours, 20 minutes, and also the patients who were discharged just before those 20-minute uh, uh, period, which is the patients who were discharged between three hours, 20 minutes, and then three hours, 40 minutes. Our hypothesis and assumption is that the, the demographic and the condition of the patients who were discharged between those three 20-minute, say, intervals are not that different. And we would expect that if their conditions are not that different, then their re return rates should also be similar. Now, with that, in a, with that in mind, we actually go and compare these three intervals. And what we find is that actually for 1ED, uh, the remission, the return and emission rate is significantly higher for the patients who were discharged just before the four hours, so which is the interval between three or 40 minutes and then four hours. So if that is significantly higher than the other two intervals, it's suggesting that maybe it, there was some premature discharge happening because that, the reason that they have a higher return and emission rate is because they shouldn't have been discharged within that period. They should have actually stayed in the ED for a little bit longer and get more medical attention. But it seems like there is some premature discharge happening, which is why we see a higher than other two intervals of the return and emission rate. And not, it's not a coincidence. So actually the ED that we find that such um, uh, significantly higher return and emission rate is the ED that showed a significant spike just before the four hour discharge rate. So if we combine these two findings, it actually shows that there is some evidence that the patients were prematurely discharged. So that's our conclusion related to the quality and the incentive scheme. Very interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting that um, the funding for the admissions, uh, for the funding for the patients who were admitted um, with length of stay under 10 hours was, I guess everything changed in 2014 in terms of the government's uh, incentives. But that particular incentive was continued by the regional health authority, but the other ones were, were ended. Why did they decide to keep that one, but none of the other incentives? Did they have some other data to imply that it was working in some way? Like it seems like the most expensive of the initiatives, but then somehow they decided that they should continue it. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. So we were actually uh, quite surprised by this continuation of the more ins uh, expensive incentive scheme, so to speak. Uh, to be honest, we are not, we do not know the exact rationale for keeping the 10-hour omission target, but not the four-hour discharge target. But our guess is, uh, one of the, as anyone know who's uh, are familiar with the problem in ED overcrowding is the phenomena of ED boarding, where the inpatient ward is uh, congested, and then patients in the ED are waiting for a bed to open up in the ward, but there's no bed available. So there, even the congestion is, uh, carrying over from the inpatient ward to the ED. So I guess I this 10-hour incentive scheme of admission, that actually helps to reduce the ED boarding patients because it's incentivizing the ED and the hospitals overall to improve their operations to try to reduce this case of ED boarding. So our guess is that probably they wanted to continue 
on by supporting the EDs to uh, eliminate or alleviate uh, ED boarding. So that's our guess. And now related to, so the mixed results, so actually out of the four EDs, in the three EDs, they still exhibit the similar drop at the 10-hour target for the admit patients after the funding source changes. While the other ED has seen this drop disappear, but to begin with, this ED that the drop disappeared, they, that was the ED even when the local government uh, was funding this uh, incentive scheme, they had the least significant drop. So to begin with, they were the, so to speak, the least uh, responsive. And then after this, uh, the funding source changed, it seems like they became less responsive to the incentive scheme. So this was also quite interesting to see that not all EDs, even within the same geographic area, responds to this uh, incentive scheme of a different magnitude. Yeah, and one can only wonder what, you know, what the reasons for that were, if it had to do with, you know, administration, leadership, how they interpreted these incentives for their employees. It's just, it's very interesting. So um, what limitations of this study do you think it's important for for listeners to know about? Uh, So I guess the first thing is how we capture the quality of the uh, care in the ED. So currently we use the seven-day return and admission rate. Uh, this is somewhat of an indirect uh, proxy for capturing the quality. Uh, there's, there could be a more uh, direct quality measure in cases of using mortality rate. Uh, but for our case, the events of uh, uh, mortality was uh, very rare. So I would say that's a good thing. Yes. But also, if uh, using other quality measures is a way to improve the uh analysis on this type of policy incentive. And so that's uh, one limitation or like one way to approach the question and improve on it. And while we find that the incentive scheme did have an effect on discharge and admission decision, uh, we don't really show how the practitioners tried to achieve that. Let's say we're looking at the length of stay and how that changed by the incentive, the distribution. If you consider the length of stay, there's actually two components of the length of stay. So for those who are familiar with ED operations, uh, the patients get admitted, they get triage, and then they wait to be seen by the doctor. So there's the component where the patients are waiting to be seen. So actually, no services be being provided. The patients are just waiting there for the re- receive the medical service. And then once they are seen by the doctor, then they, the treatment, so to speak, the service or the treatment phase starts, and then until they get discharged or be admitted, that will correspond to the period when they're, they're receiving the service. So it would be interesting to see whether the this uh, decrease in the length of stay for a certain patients actually happened by just by the doctors trying to reduce the time that they're being serviced. So uh, sacrificing, so to, so, to, so to speak, sacrificing the time that the the duration of the time that the patients receive the service. Or whether it was a more systematic approach and then the hospitals saw that, oh, this patient is, say, a certain uh, triage level three. And then the hospital could have strategically decided that for certain patients to try to reduce, uh, have their length of stay within those four hours or 10 hour period. And then they took a more uh, systematic approach to both reduce both the service period and then the waiting period. So that would be an interesting study, uh, in my opinion. So in other, in other words, the data only tells us um, they did that. They tried to discharge patients before the four hour, right? But how they do that? 
as Eric said, there are many possibilities which we don't know. We could we may give some conjecture, but we we, we don't know exactly what, how they managed to do that. Right, exactly. Um, so what would be your take-home message after this study about the effect of pay-for-performance initiatives on length of stay? And, and you sort of alluded to what you might want to look at next or what you think would be a good thing to follow up with, but do you have any plans to study anything um, in this arena next? Uh, so to wrap it up, uh, the pay-for-performance intensity incentive in the ED that was implemented for the at the organization level this was the uh, our I guess our message is that the pay for performance incentives can be effective even at the organization level and it seems to be successful in inducing more patients to be discharged admitted early so this also helps to actually achieve the goal which was to reduce the overcrowding in the EDs so our finding is that these type of incentive does actually work in practice but looking at how exactly the organizations responded, uh, we find that in some instances, they seem to have rushed uh, the decisions just before the target hours rather than trying to take a systematic approach to improve the overall patient flow to reduce the length of stay. So it's a matter of how the organization responds to the incentive. And maybe in terms of the policy design, there could be other ways to improve the hospital's response. So uh, for instance, not only implementing a single once one uh, target of say four hour discharge target, but it's actually there's an intermediate uh, target for say like if you for if you if ninety percent of your patients uh, are discharged within three hours, so to speak. So it's not enforcing that everyone has to be discharged within four hours, but for a good uh, chunk of patients are being discharged in a much shorter period of time, then that may also induce the hospitals to try to not only rush to meet the four hours, but also reduce the length of stay for the, the overall pay, uh, population, which will need a systematic approach to achieve that. So if there's those uh, additional incentives that added on to this strict four-hour target, then we think that that may be able to help for more EDs to systematically reduce the length of stay, which is overall trying to reduce the overcrowding problem in a lot of EDs. So that would be our suggestion in terms of policy design. And it would also be interesting to look at the intermediate targets, uh, well, uh, the intermediate targets not only for the discharge length of stay, but also the admission length of stay. So you can implement something similar for the admitted patients as well. Actually, in our paper, we also said um, there are two different targets. One is for discharge patients. We said it's four hour, right? For patients who will be admitted, it's 10 hour. Uh, we are actually discussing whether we should keep only one of them. Maybe the admission 10 hour, which seems useful, but for the four hour target, we don't know what the consequence it leads to. It may lead to premature discharge or may not, right? So that one is more questionable. So I think we need to look into more, uh, mainly the four hour uh, target for discharged patients. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for speaking with me today and for your work. Um, very, very interesting stuff, and we can't wait to hear what comes next. Thanks very much, Gita. Yeah. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Be sure to read the full text of this article available on our blog at Brown EM Blog for a limited time. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.